Hi, this is Derek Miller, President and CEO of the World Trade Center Utah. Welcome to this month's edition of the WTC Utah podcast, where we discuss international trade news, Utah economic development, and ways to help you grow your business internationally. On this month's podcast, we'll be discussing air quality and the Clean the Air Challenge with Tom Carter, the Executive Director of the Utah Clean Air Partnership, or UCARE. And our main topic for this month's podcast is the Olympics. We're going to talk to Jeff Robbins, President and CEO of the Utah Sports Commission, about the 2002 Winter Olympics, the current 2018 Winter Olympics, and the exciting possibility of bringing the Olympics back to Utah. But before we delve into our segments, I want to share with you a few upcoming World Trade Center Utah events. The first is on March 6th at 9 a.m., the International Financing Seminar. We have as our presenter Troy Furman from the Exim Bank. He's the Senior Vice President and General Counsel. Also on March 8th at 3 p.m., we will have the International Women's Day celebration that will be held at the Salt Lake Chamber of Commerce where we will have a panel of international business women talking about the challenge and opportunities for women in international business. And then finally, on March 14th at 11 a.m. is our quarterly Thought Leader Symposium, The Gritty Truth, Counterterrorism in an Era of Instability with former CIA Director John Brennan. That will be held at the Utah Museum of Fine Arts in the Dumkey Auditorium. We're grateful for our partnership at the University of Utah for this quarter's Thought Leader Symposium. So let's go ahead and get started with today's first topic, clean air. I'm joined in this segment by Tom Carter, the Executive Director of UCARE. And I'm gonna let him tell you what the acronym stands for, but Tom, we're glad to have you here today. And as you know, we're covering in this podcast, uh, an article that we did in our Prosperity Newsletter last month about clean air, air quality, and why it's important to Utah, not just to our health, which is a big deal, but to the health of our economy at large. Thanks for being here, Tom. Thanks for having me, Derek. So UCARE is the Utah Clean Air Partnership. It's been around for about five years, started in the governor's office uh, as an initiative of Governor Herbert. And... Uh, after about a few months there, they decided that it'd be more effective as a nonprofit with the idea kind of uh, focused around three pillars, public education, uh, a grants process, and then partnership. There are a lot of voices, a lot of really strong voices as it relates to getting the word out and finding solutions for this clean air problem we have here in Utah. And instead of letting everybody go off and, and talk and, and push in different directions, the governor, in his wisdom, thought we should get together and have a partnership and coalesce everyone and, and work together. And this allows this partnership, this organization, UCARE, brings everyone from the clean air world to the industry world um, to the business world and sits together and talks and then encourages and points out and develops ideas and strategies on how we can work towards this common goal of ensuring that Utah is the best place for everyone to live. You know, you mentioned that it began as an initiative by Governor Herbert and actually started the first director was also the executive director of the Department of Environmental Quality. Uh, but I, I have to laugh a little bit because when you and I, when you first took this position, um, you came and visited me and you brought me a nice gift. It was a 
coffee mug with you care on it. Yes. And you don't know this, but I actually took a snapped a photo of that and texted it to the governor and said, Hey Governor Herbert, did you ever think you'd see you care on a coffee mug? <laughs> so it's totally legit now, even though it started in the governor's office as this initiative, now it's a a, a, a public-private partnership, a nonprofit with its name on a coffee mug. So it can't get more legitimate than that. No, I mean, next thing we have to do is baseball caps and then it'll be the biggest deal <laughs> ever. Um, that's well, great. Tell me, I mean, there's a lot of interest around clean air, uh, but I have found there's also a lot of um, misunderstanding around clean air. I'm sure that you deal with that all the time. Tell us what... What you usually tell people they need to know about what's happening with air quality in the state of Utah. So the first thing I tell people is you need, in order to understand air quality, you need to understand the word inversion. And because everyone's like, we got to solve inversion, we got to fix inversion, we got to get rid of inversion. So here's the best bit of truth I can give you: we will never solve inversion. Inversion is geography and weather. We live in a valley surrounded by beautiful mountains. And because of that, high pressure weather comes in and will hold air, bad air down. And that's just a fact of life. The Native Americans, when they first met with Brigham Young, referred to this as the Valley of Smoke. Mm. It's part of our long-term history of the, of the Wasatch Front. So we cannot get rid of inversion. We but we need to mitigate the effects of inversion. Once the lid goes on, once that high pressure system comes and holds the air down, pollution can double every single day. In order for us to make sure that doesn't happen, we can alter our behaviors. We can shift our capacity to ensure that we aren't um, adding to the problem until a, a snowstorm, a windstorm, a rainstorm can come lift that pressure out and clean the air. That's number one. You have to understand inversion. Number two, the other thing that I hear often is in order for us to solve this problem, we need to shut down the refineries or get rid of Rio Tinto Kennecott. Um, and that's just plainly not true. We have the science from DEQ and DAQ that shows that industry, so what we refer to as point sources, are now only 10% of the problem. Really, 50% of the problem, if you want to be specific, 48% of the problem are tailpipes, the cars we drive. And so when people ask me, what are you going to do about air quality? What is the government going to do about air quality? I turn around and say to them, really, what are you going to do about air quality? Because not only is it 48% our cars, it is also 40% our homes. So the, the problem is everyone. So the solution has to be everyone. So I understand the cars part of it. Help me understand a little bit more about the homes. What's, what is happening in homes that's causing an air quality problem? So the biggest of the low-hanging fruit related to what happens in our homes is we have fireplaces. We burn wood. Now, we did an initiative this fall where we helped people move from wood-burning stoves to gas-burning stoves. Wood is very, very dirty. We no longer burn coal in our homes, so that's one of the reasons why we're, we are doing better. But if we can get rid of burning wood. Additionally, things like our washing machines, our water heaters, all have uh, NOx emissions. And those emissions um, have 
issues or pollutants in, in them. Uh, also, the way in which we heat our homes. We keep our homes too warm. That also has a, a significant amount of emissions as well. So we encourage people, if you keep your house at 70, 72 in the wintertime, keep it to 68 and, and buy a nice sweater or, or cuddle. UCARE is in favor of cuddling, um, consensual cuddling in this, uh, in this day and age. But, um, and in the summertime, keep your, hair, keep your home warmer. There's no reason to run your heat too much, run your air conditioning too much, because there are emissions in that part of our world as well. So we talk all the time in Utah about how we have the fastest growing economy and we're one of the fastest growing states. So when we talk about tailpipes, when we talk about homes, this is not slowing down. We're putting more tailpipes on the road, I assume. Yes. We're building more homes, more apartments. Uh, I, you know, I live right here in the heart of the city, and that's so I see it going on all around me. So we've got, on one hand, we've got to reduce those emissions, but on the other hand, our population is growing. How do we solve for that? I mean, is it a losing battle? I hope not. It's not. It's not, because we see that... Um the uh, over the last ten years, our emissions have reduced in this state um, by about thirty percent, and we've grown by about thirty percent. So, one of the things that is beneficial in a state like Utah, where we are so tech focused, and we've made that shift with the Silicon Slopes. You work with them directly, Derek. You understand how these guys work and what's going on here. Technology is our friend as it relates to solving the air quality issue. One of those things we see with the cars is. Um, we ask people, when it's time to buy a new car, when it's time to get a new car, evaluate the smog rating. We've done a great job of looking at fuel efficiency. On your fuel efficiency sticker, when you go and look at a car, there's also a smog rating. UCARE has developed a, a tool. It's on our website, ucare.org, where you can find out what the smog rating is on your car. And smog rating is getting so good that for the 2018 models, they had to recalibrate um, because cars are just getting that much cleaner. That's great. And on top of that, as we have tier three fuels coming into the, the market, a tier three fuel doesn't necessarily need to be in a tier three car. Better fuel will make a bad car better. We do want people driving the best possible car that they can. As we continue to electrify the fleet, people buy electric cars, and we work with um, organizations, Rocky Mountain Power, Maverick, uh, to get more and more charging stations here in the state. We, we believe the market will, will bear out and people will have less anxiety about charging their cars. Um, people will buy more and more cars, also in the next electric cars. And also in the next two or three years, we'll see more affordable electric cars. The market, will, the market and technology will help us with this problem. Additionally though, until that happens, we need to be making better choices, better decisions. And some of those things is just reducing our cold starts and trip chaining and carpooling and using public transportation. We're really bullish. Um, there's legislation moving through um, the state legislature right now that kind of restructures the public transportation, takes money from roads to and goes towards public transportation, which allows us to be planning on what this state's going to look like in 5, 10, 15 years with so many people coming. I'm excited and I am optimistic that as we continue to invest in infrastructure, invest in technology, we will continue to find 
really good workable solutions. I like the mix that you laid out there, Tom, as far as, uh, yes, technology will provide us new solutions, but it doesn't mean we can just sit back and wait for those solutions to come. There are things that we each one of us can be doing today. I referenced earlier that we had this article uh, in the Prosperity Newsletter, and I think maybe this is, is a good way to conclude this segment of the podcast is how important air quality is to our state's economic prosperity. Tell us about uh, how you see that. I mean, you're dealing with this from an air quality standpoint. I deal with trying to help the economy to grow each day. We need to be working together. You mentioned one of the third uh, objectives of UCARE are those partnerships. Uh, why don't you send us out on this segment talking about those partnerships and then let people know where they can go to find additional information. So one of the great things, thanks, Eric, is, is this idea of partnership is working with, like I said, businesses, industry, advocacy groups to find solutions, right? There are no perfect answers, but there are practical solutions. And one of these great practical solutions we're working on right now here in the month of February is the Clear the Air Challenge. And that's where businesses, families, and individuals can figure out the best way to clear the air themselves as it relates to multimodal transportation. So today I carpooled into work and uh, got dropped off. And then I needed to come downtown to, to meet with you guys. So I jumped on tracks and took tracks downtown. That's me eliminating a bunch of, uh, of emissions personally. Works for me. And through this program, that's a partnership with the Department of Transportation, the Chamber, UCARE, and all these other businesses that are, are participating, we're working to find solutions for each business themselves. So I track it. I know how much emissions that I'm removing. Uh, other businesses are doing these things themselves. They're signing in. They're signing up. They're signing up their 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 employees. And as we do this this month, we're hopeful that it's going to continue to shift behaviors to make these decisions. And um, knowing that there is no one size fits all uh, solution here, so we're excited about that. We're excited to sit with each organization and say, okay, here are twelve different ideas. Um, which one works for you? We don't want uh, to regulate this. We don't want to force it on anybody, but we know that each organization wants to bring in new and best and bright talent, and they want people to feel like this is the, the greatest place to, to work because we all know that. We live here. We love what Utah is, and so when we can provide people with these practical solutions through our partnership opportunities, they're, they're going to continue to succeed in this space. We just encourage everybody to to find a way to participate. And you can find, we have videos and stories and opportunities on our website, which is ucare.org, U-C-A-I-R, so like the air, ucare.org. And um, please come and, and be a part of that and be a part of the solution. Instead of looking outward and saying, what is everybody else doing? Look at yourself and say, what can I do today to help make Utah the best place to be? That's a great message. Thanks, Tom, for what you're doing personally to clean the air. Thanks what you and you care is doing as an organization to help. And thanks for joining us today on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Derek. Really appreciate it. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for joining us. Before we get started discussing the potential Olympic bid that everybody's excited about, let's start by you telling us a little bit about the economic impact 
from the 2002 Winter Games. You know, look at the 2002 Games um, and what's taken place. Uh, you know, there was an estimated about six six point five billion dollars in uh, in impact driven from the 2002 Games, and that was uh, you know our friends at the University of Utah that did a study and looked at that uh, or our exploratory report. About 47,500, I think, was the jobs created um, uh, with with the Olympics in 2002. So, you know, significant impact, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of branding and awareness that were generated not only during the Games but after the Games and since the Games. So uh, in terms of economic impact and a um, you know, something that was significant to the state of Utah, certainly the 2002 Games, uh, provided that for Utah. Uh, so if you look at moving forward, uh, the the Olympic legacy that we've, we've had here, you know, we've been involved in about 700 major uh, sporting events, uh, you know, very various sizes, generating well over a billion dollars uh, in economic impact from from the events that we've uh, we've hosted here, which is a key part of. Obviously, trying to get another Olympics, this it's a sporting event uh, or an event with the sporting events that are being hosted. So, having expertise and continuing that is a key part of, of, of bidding on a future games. We also have a lot of training going on here, elite level, world class training that's taking place in our venues. We have uh, all of our venues are being used still, Olympic Legacy and other venues. Uh, that were used in 2002, so we've done a great job of utilizing the existing venues, and uh, which puts us in a really good position to host the future games. So, um, so if you kind of take that look back at what the games provide for Utah, it was, was significant. If you look moving forward after the games, the impact has still been significant, and you know, well over a billion dollars. Uh, driven to the economy again, hundreds of millions of dollars in image building after the games for the activities we're involved in, and that sets us up really pretty nicely to to host the future games in terms of being ready, willing, and able, and also as a as a driver to our economy and our image for the state of Utah. And share with us how the 2002 games put us in a position to host future games. Yeah. Well, there are another a number of places that have hosted the games twice. Um, that, that you look at, especially on the summer side, you know, Paris, some three times, London, Paris, um, you're looking at uh, Paris hosting again in 2024, LA 2028. So when you start looking now because of so one of the major decisions uh, that, that uh, the IOC looks at is uh, can you leverage additional infrastructure, the cost? And so when you look at going back to places that have hosted the games again, that have had a robust uh, Olympic legacy like we have here in Utah and have continued to utilize those existing venues, um, you know, the cost is lower. And so so I think you're going to see in the future uh, uh, more cities that have hosted before as long as they've continued to keep their legacy venues uh, alive and, and being utilized, you know, there are just more of them that the events are going to go back to, I believe, because it makes them more cost-competitive and reduces the, the number of uh, funds that have to go into building additional uh, event and related infrastructure. One thing that 
a lot of people talk about is transportation infrastructure. Tell us how the transportation infrastructure today compares to when we had the Olympics in 2002. You know, right now you, you have a uh, significant airport construction that's going on. So we would probably have, you know, certainly one of the newest and most advanced airports that we've ever had, certainly significantly uh, different than we had in 2002. Since 2002, you have light rail going through downtown and going south. You have um, the, uh, the, the rail line, the front runner, that runs along the Wasatch Front that wasn't here. Uh, so you have additional transportation infrastructure in place we didn't have um, with the airport and now with the front runner and light rail. And so, so we've got more than we had. So that's and significantly more, but you also have a chance, I think, to look at uh, innovating in different ways to whether it's looking at the sustainability, environmental, uh, it could be electric vehicles, it could be mass trans transport, it could be looking at doing something that, that you have more efficiency uh, and, and really plays into that environmental and sustainability side of transportation, which you didn't have back uh, back when we were involved. So. So certainly all those kinds of things, if you were going to bid again and host the games, would be areas that, that in the exploratory report that we looked at. And um, so we think we can actually innovate in this whole area of transportation to perhaps make our, our transportation up the mountains, up the resorts um, better, more efficient. Jeff, tell us a little bit about the resolution that was recently passed by the legislature and signed by Governor Herbert in support of hosting the future Olympic Games in either 2026 or 2030. Legislature passed a resolution this just uh, a few days ago, and the governor, the speaker, and the president signed that, uh, essentially encouraging Utah to host uh, a future games. So uh, they pointed out 2026 or 30, or or you know uh, a future games when the opportunity becomes available. So. That passed unanimously through both bodies. Uh, one of the, the most difficult things that you have with many of the Olympic cities is getting both the public and the elected officials on board with hosting the games. Uh, here we have uh, kind of our unique in that, again, we had an 89% uh, poll and a 90% on that was uh, online, so extremely high favorability in our, with our, our citizens. And then you have the resolution that was uh, ran in our legislature uh, that, that passed both bodies unanimously. So when you have your elected officials passing a resolution unanimously, then a very, very high uh, poll uh, that, that in terms of favorabilities, uh, you know, there's, there's really not many places that have both of those going for them that we're aware of. What should Utahns know about bringing all these international visitors to our state, both of what happened in 2002 and also potentially in the future. What does it mean from a tourism perspective? Well, you know, it's, 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 the, the tourism industry is, is a significant part of Utah's economy. So when you have a bigger audience and a more international platform to promote to, uh, you know, worldwide, Obviously, having billions of people, uh, you know, watch or the, you have, you have six billion people. I think last time there was 
3 billion viewers. Now, that doesn't mean 3 billion people, different people watch, but 3 billion viewers. So you're seeing a significant part of the world watch the games. And when a significant part of the world watches the games um, and sees Utah, certainly around the world, um, Utah doesn't have the notoriety of some of the major destinations that uh, some of our international community typically sees, the New Yorks, the Los Angeleses, uh, perhaps Las Vegas and, and, and certain locations. So it, it, it gives them a better perspective on Utah. I'll also orients them to what we have here. Also influences business, um, business leaders and uh, people who make decisions on where to relocate businesses are, are also influenced because they see all of the different uh, assets that you have. They see, they view you as a peer of many of the cities that, that sometimes appear larger because they don't know any better. So you look at tourism, you look at relocation, attraction of business, in the international trade like you guys do. Uh, all of those elements are key parts of what a platform to drive your message to the world can do for you if you're smart um, and if you have the right messaging. And so, um, so, so, so clearly having a platform to message the state of Utah, to drive tourism, to drive international trade, to drive deep business relocation, um, are all key parts, and also bringing a lot of other major sporting events in because if you're able to host the Olympics as a major sporting event and put it on well, then the ma other major sporting events look at you in terms of oh, if they're able to host the Olympics and host it well, these other major sporting events that drive so much impact to our economy, um, it's likely that you could host them well also. So based on all this information, what are the next steps for an Olympic bid? Where do we go from here? Steps, okay, I hear you. Um, you know, next steps are we're waiting for uh, the U.S. Uh, United States Olympic Committee. They have to decide when they want to bid again, which year, 2026 or 2030. And, uh, you know, our sense is that they will be leaning more towards 2030 um, and then that will give us more direction on what games to, to, to look at going after. Uh, the games is decided for, for the IOC awards the games seven years before the actual year. So in 2023 for 2030, the IOC would award the games to a big city. Um, and then the USOC and the IOC would have some, uh, dialogue phases for a couple of years leading up to that. So if it ends up being 2030, then, uh, you know, 2021, 2020, we would have to act actively engage in the process. If it were 2026, the IOC will award the, the bid for 2026 in October of 2019. So about a year and a half. Thanks, Jeff. Any last thoughts that you want to share with us? Right. And there's one more. Oh. And finally, how can Utahns get involved in expressing and sharing their support for this exciting Olympic bid? Obviously, there's still a very high level of enthusiasm among our elected officials and the public in hosting other games. It makes great financial sense because we have so much infrastructure that's already in place and currently being utilized. 
Um, and so if it makes sound financial sense, we believe that uh, the, the community will rally around it again. We have tremendous volunteerism here. We have, we're, we're, we've got more infrastructure and actually more uh, related assets than we had during 2002, so we actually think we're better equipped to host the games uh, now than we were in 2002 by, by quite a bit. Um, and so, you know, and then the worldwide notoriety, um, it, it's it's something that uh, in, the, in the world of sports and TV and media is certainly at a, a, a pinnacle. It's, it's as high as any other property in the world. So the platform that gives the state of Utah to both promote itself and drive business to our economy um, is, is really unparalleled. So it just seems like it makes sense from all those reasons to go after And if we have an opportunity to do that, again, we don't control whether or not uh, the U.S. bid city is put forward to the IOC, but we want to stay ready, willing, and able and make sure that if that opportunity does arise, uh, we're, we're positioned to take advantage of it. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us. And don't forget to follow WTC Utah on social media at WTC Utah. And also, don't forget to tune into next month's podcast. Mm-hmm.